What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Cinephile Diaries. This is episode 14, I want to say. I believe this is episode 14. Um, don't hold me to that, because I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be honest, y'all. I kind of really, really, really slacked off this week. Well, I didn't, I didn't slack off so much as... I got obsessed with the show, and at, and at first, at like, it's not a new show, it's an older show. So, like, at first, you're like, at first, I was like, man, I'll, I can do both. I can watch this show and then, like, not talk about another podcast, then, like, watch a, watch a, still watch all the movies that I want to watch. That did not happen. I, I became obsessed with this show, and we're going to talk about this show, but I do, like, before before we dive into what this show is, I do want to talk about some other stuff. Because I did still manage... Well, I got through two movies, and then I got through a movie that's related to the show. So, I, I like, that gives me an excuse to talk about it right there. Um, but yeah, I watched two movies. I Dude, I was so obsessed with this show this week. I'm holding y'all in suspense, I know. I was so obsessed with the show this week that I didn't watch Yellow Jackets. If you're listening to this podcast for my Yellow Jackets reviews, I'm sorry. There's not going to be a Yellow Jackets review this week because I didn't watch it. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, yeah, well, we should probably just go ahead and jump into it because there's, there's stuff to talk about before we get to the thing that I'm actually really, really wanting to talk about. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to start with, uh, with the, the normal TV reviews that I do every week. We're going we're gonna to start with Ted Lasso, just because this episode had two of my favorite moments in the entire show. Um... God, this show's so good. <laughs> now I'm like thinking about Ted Lasso. I was thinking about the other show. Now I'm thinking about Ted Lasso. Um, God, this show's so good. Uh, all right, so this episode, we actually get like Nate and Ted reunite in this episode. Well, not reunite, but they like they actually have scenes together in this episode. And Nate, God, God, we're gonna talk about characters that like most people hate. But you also completely understand a lot this episode. We're going to talk about that a lot this episode. But poor Nate. Poor Nathan Shelley. Because all Nathan Shelley is doing is looking for validation. All Nate, all Nate wants is validation. All Nate wants is someone to tell him he's doing a good job. And Ted did that. And then Ted... Because... And then Ted moved on with life like he didn't like it's not ted's fault that nate's being a dick but like ted a part of ted's light is sharing his love with everyone not just nate and nate kind of wanted it all to himself um but then nate finds someone who gives all of that light to him and that's rupert gives all of the rupert gives all of the praise to Nate. Like, Nate is Rupert's sole focus. At least that's what Nate thinks. Uh, Nate, like, Rupert Rupert doesn't give a freak about Nate, but Nate believes that Rupert is giving him everything that Ted never did. And that's attention, love, praise, affection. He's giving him the father that he never got. Um... Yeah, so we get we get the reuniting of Ted and Nate, and the scene that they have together, where Nate is just like vehemently apologizing 
he's vehemently apologizing for the way that he left. Like, oh man, it's such a like, but you know it's not because he's sorry. Nate's not sorry. Nate just doesn't want to face Ted. Nate just regrets what he did, the anger of what he did, but he hasn't worked through the anger of what he did. Um, yeah, there's an elevator scene where, like, they're all, <laughs> where Ted gets in an elevator with, like, 30, excuse me, Ted gets in an elevator with, like, 30 people in it, or 13, or whatever, I don't know, whatever the maximum capacity of an elevator is, it's pretty close to that, um, and they they ride on the thing, and have y'all seen that uh, state, or nation, or whatever, Pacific Life, whatever the commercial is about, like, become not becoming your parents and there's the guy and there's the one where they're in the elevator and the guy is like trying to talk to the people in the elevator and the guy is like you see how everyone else is facing the other way that's ted in this scene like he's talking to everybody in the elevator and then they get to a floor everybody gets off except ted and then ted moves and it reveals that nate is standing in the corner facing the wall just hiding, because that's what Nate does. He hides. Um, yeah, like, th- that reuniting was, was really cool. And then this th- this episode has my two, like, A, it has my favorite Rebecca moment, this season at least. Because when, because, like, we, she's in a scene with Ted, and, like, Ted is very clearly shaken by something. He's very clearly not in a good mood. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And she goes, Oklahoma. I know I started talking about the show in season three, but back in like season one, they reveal that the word Oklahoma was Ted and his wife's signal to tell each other the absolute truth, which is which was started by their therapist, their their marriage counselor, who Ted's wife is now dating. That's not... I'm not mad for Ted at all about that. That's so stupid. Why would you do... That's... uh, Why do people keep betraying Ted? His wife did it. Nate did it. Why do people keep betraying Ted? It's so not okay. Um, not the point. (laughs) But yeah, when, when Rebecca said Oklahoma, taking this, like, dark moment in Ted's life and representing it as love, dude, dude, I lost it. Like... Dude, that that moment was really nice. I really like just a really really nice moment. Um and I'm telling you Ted Becca is in game. Ted Becca is in game. I'm going to sound like such a shipper in this episode. Oh my god. <laughs> um but yeah, Ted Becca is in game cuz they're so perfect for each other cuz they both represent the very worst. Well, they, they represent the better version of the thing that betrayed them. They rep, like, they're doing, like, the, so many of the things that both Ted and Rebecca do for each other um, mirrors things that were done by the people that hurt them, by Ted's ex-wife, by Rupert. It's just so good. Like, it's just such good writing. And it's good writing that has hope. And, yeah, it's it's my comfort show. It's a very happy, like everything is good, like, all people are genuinely, generally good people, I don't know, I'm just, I'm rambling, Ted Lasso is one of my favorite shows of all time, and 
you should watch it. Um, God, what else happened in this episode? Oh my God! Oh my God! I forgot to talk about the 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 last Ted moment. At the very end of the episode, Ted just has this moment where like Ted has been a people pleaser this entire show. Ted is all about pleasing people and making other people happy, and you know, bringing joy to other people regardless of what he's going through. And at the end of this episode, he finally has a moment where he's on the phone with his ex-wife. And he just tells her a thing that's been bothering him. A thing that makes him mad. And he tells her... He, he like, takes up space. He owns his opinion. Rather than just, you know, letting her walk all over him. And it just... Like, I, th- I don't remember if I stood up and clapped. But I probably stood up and clapped. Because it's such a perfect moment. It's, like... You you think at the end of season one, Ted has gone through his entire arc. And then you think at the end of season two, Ted has gone through his entire arc, and now he can just help other people. And still, in episode four of this show, of season three, Ted is still finding ways to grow and change as a person and get better. And it just hit. Like, I'm going to do a lot of text to self-reflection in this episode. Like, it just hit, and it hit at the exact right time for me, because I'm going through similar shit. Um, it's just such a perfect little moment. Yeah. Um, I don't know, this week's episode of Ted Lasso was really good, um, and I like it quite a bit. You should you should go watch it. Um, yeah, that's my take on Ted Lasso Season 3, Episode 4 or 5? I think this is Episode 4. God, it's always episode fours, dude. It's always because episode season one, episode four, has Roy and Jamie starting to like make amends. Season two, episode four, I don't remember. I think Ted's first panic attack is in season one, episode four, also. And then I don't remember what happens in season two, episode four, unless that's the the uh, the episode where like. Uh, Sam does the protest. I don't know. I'm talking a lot, and y'all don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Sorry about that. Anyway, that's my take on Ted Lasso Season 3, Episode 4. It's awesome. You should go watch it. Episode 4s, man. Go watch Ted Lasso. It's amazing. It's brilliant. It's awesome. Go watch it. That's, yeah, that's my take on it. Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 6. Y'all gonna think I have absolutely no taste. This episode fucking rules. <laughs> I don't care. I, like I, I just can't bring myself to 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 have the the like fanboy hate for this episode. Jack Black is in Star Wars. What the hell else do you want from me? It's all Jack Black is in Star Wars. It's a NCIS style detective story. You get more development for droids as a species, I guess? Christopher Lloyd is... Doc Brown is in it. And he references Count Dooku. Like, I don't know what else y'all wanted from me. This episode freaking ruled. I don't care. <laughs> um, Like, I will give you that this, sh- the, this season has been, like, a little bit... I don't know if unfocused is the right word, because I actually think it's been really focused. I just think everyone else has, like, believes this show is going a certain way, and I don't think that's the way it's going. Or, I mean, it is going that way, but I think everyone thinks this season is about retaking Mandalore. 
I don't think that's what this season is about. I think this season is about reuniting the Mandalorians, and next season is about retaking Mandalore. Um, I heard some reports going around that, like, they said it was going to be the final season, but I don't remember anyone saying that that season four was going to be the final season. But that would make sense. Like, it would make sense if season four is the final season. Um, I was, I mean, I was talking with a friend about it last week. I, it would make perfect sense if season four is the final season. Um, especially given, like, some of the kind of rumors and reports about, um, A, John Favreau's relationship with Disney, and B, Pedro Pascal's relationship with Disney at the moment. Um, which I'm not sure I believe any of that. Like, I'm not sure I believe any of the TMZ crap, but... I mean, it kind of makes sense. Din has definitely been very sidelined in this episode. Because there were reports that, like, Kathleen Kennedy was the one who made the decision to have Din and Grogu reunite in Book of Boba Fett, which is a dumb decision. It's a dumb decision in a show that just felt like a cascade of really dumb decisions, if we're being honest. Um... But yeah, so, I mean, it makes sense, but at the same time, I could watch this show as a slice of life for the rest of my life, like, I don't care, have Din and Grogu, um, oh my god, I should probably, I'm gonna actually do a news segment in the next segment, I completely forgot I was planning on doing that, I'm gonna be honest, but yeah, I'm gonna do a news segment in the next segment, because I want to talk about all the Star Wars news, um, but, yeah, uh, I don't know. So, yeah, this episode ruled Lizzo, Jack Black, um, Sir Grogu. I forgot to say Sir Grogu. I said Grogu. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It's Sir Grogu to you. It's Sir Grogu to you. Um, the fight at the end was good. The I don't know. Uh, this episode... This, I don't care. Like, is it perfect? No. Is it exactly what I want from Star Wars right now? Yes. Like, I don't care. I don't care. You're not going to convince me to care. This episode frickin' ruled. Um, yeah, I don't I don't care, dude. I just don't care. Like, it's frickin' iRobot in Star Wars. You're, I just don't care. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's my take on Ed. Did being an absolute droid racist. I don't care. It's awesome. I don't care. Yeah, I don't know. I love Star Wars, man. I don't care. It's good. Fight me. <laughs> That's my take on that. Okay, so the news. What's in the news this week? Just because there was a lot, and I want to talk about it all. Um, that most uh, most of what I'm most of what there is to talk about is Star Wars. But I did want to mention that they're doing a. Harry Potter series, TV series, reboot, where, like, it's seven seasons, and each season will cover one of the books, um, this is stupid, like, I don't know, dude, because at first I was like, that, that makes sense, like, Every, every, everybody talks about all the details that they left out of the movies, it makes sense to do a series, but then, like, the more I think about it, um, uh, 
those those movies kind of that those eight movies kind of are what they are. They're awesome. They're great. They're great adaptations. Or I don't know if they're great adaptations because I haven't read the books. I've read f- three of them. Um, but like they're good adaptations. They're or they're good movies. I don't know if they're good adaptations. Um, and those characters and Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, and Emma Stone as the Emma Stone, fucking hell, <laughs> Emma Watson as those characters are perfect. Like they're they're maybe it's just me. Maybe I just have a lot of nostalgia for it. But they're just like ingrained into my mind. I can't see anyone else as those characters. Um, and then like it would make sense if the reason they're rebooting and not just bringing those three back is because of the J uh the JK Rowling stuff cuz all three or at least two of them like uh Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson have been very outspoken against Rowling so like it makes sense that they're holding up because those three won't come back um so I don't I don't know. I just don't know if I can see anyone. I don't know if I can see anyone else as Snape other than Alan Rickman. I don't know if I can see anyone else's day as a uh, Lupin other than uh David Thewlis. Uh, maybe Andrew Garfield. I like Andrew Garfield as Snape. I would be okay with that. But I bet that's not what happens. <laughs> um But yeah, like this is just a really really terrible idea. This is just a really, really bad idea. Let's jump over to some Star Wars now. <laughs> um, so the first, the first like major announcement that we got is Dave Filoni, who is the creator of Clone Wars, Rebels, helped create Mandalorian, worked on and and like wrote every episode of Ahsoka. Um, is going to direct a Star Wars movie that will serve as the culmination of the quote-unquote Mandoverse. And that's like Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian, uh, probably Ahsoka, probably all of the probably Rebels and Clone Wars 2, honestly, with the way Filoni works. I I don't think you're going to get a live-action movie that doesn't have Ahsoka in it. (laughs) Um... You know, I don't know if I like this. Like, the more I think about it, I don't know. Because I liked it at first, but I don't know if it's going to translate to the big screen. Like, I don't know I don't know how that's going to work. Because, like, the, the look of these shows... Well, Book of Boba Fett did not look very good, because they overused the volume. Um, but, like, Mandalorian looks really good, even in Season 3. But you can tell it's a TV show. Like, it's, it looks really good for a Star Wars TV show. Um, and I just worry that doing a movie is going to hurt that. Like, it's like it's not going to work. Like, it's not going to... It's going to look like a TV show. That's my fear. Um, also, like, what are they saving? What's the movie? Like, what's the... What is the culmination? I assume it's Thrawn... But Thrawn is also going to be a villain in Ahsoka, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I don't, I, I genuinely can't decide how I feel about this. Like, there's no that this is this is a difficult one. 
I should be really excited. If, if this was after Mandalorian Season 2, I'd probably be hyped as hell. But they, they've kind of messed up as of late. Uh, Book of Boba Fett was not good. They were also responsible for Obi-Wan, which was not very good. Um, season th- and, and, a part, and like the thing I love about Mandalorian is it's a TV show. You get adventures week to week. You get like contained stories week to week. Yeah, there's there's a serialized nature to it, but and you and they have important episodes. Like they have episodes that are the culmination. I'm not saying that, but I'm not I'm just not sure how a movie is going to work. I like I don't I don't know. And if any if any of the drama is true, does Pedro Pascal come back? Is it really going to be a Mandoverse movie if Pedro Pascal's not in it? Like I don't I don't know. I have very mixed feelings on this one. Um But yeah, I mean I guess I guess I guess we'll see. They said it was going to be like 6 to 7 years anyway. So, who knows. Um Yeah. So, next piece of news that we got, well I'm going to save the big one for last cuz I have the most to say on it. Um, but the next piece of news that we got was James Mangold is directing a movie about the first Jedi and the discovery of the Force. Um, th- I, I, this is a great idea. My like my only it's not even a hang up, but I don't love James Mangold as much as everyone else does. Logan is probably a top five, top ten comic book movie of all time. But there's people who hype it up like it's one of the greatest movies of all time. And Logan is not... Like, it's at, at its core, Logan is still a movie about clones. Like, it's a movie where a cl- where they make a clone, and there's superpowers, and it's it's still very comic booky. Um, it's It doesn't transcend the genre, for me, the way everyone says that it does. Um... And then James Mangold directed a movie called Ford v. Ferrari that I didn't really like. It just felt like the entire movie was on autopilot. Like, it felt like nobody cared about that movie. To me. Like, nobody cared about making that movie. Except for the cinematographer. The cinematographer did a bang-up job, and I'll give him that. The editor did a pretty good job as well. But, like, that script was so bland and so boring. And... The performances just really brought nothing to it for me. I do not like that movie very much. Um, And then the other Mangold movie that I've seen is a movie he did back in, like, 2003 called Identity. That's actually a really interesting thriller slash, like, almost a slasher. I call it a slasher because I watched it in October as I was watching a bunch of slasher movies. And it kind of qualifies as a slasher. But it's it's also, like, a really interesting movie about, like, dissociative identity disorder and the twists are all really cool i think i think i think the final like five minutes is a little bit really cheesy um and the first like 10 minutes is kind of over edited a little bit but yeah that like identity's good but my point is i don't know if mangled i don't know if mangled has ever made something that i straight up adored that i straight up just loved everything about it um Here's hoping Mangled has that movie this year. My most anticipated movie of the year, and we got a new trailer for it this week, is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, that movie 
it's it's absolutely like my excitement for it is absolutely just nostalgia bait. It's absolutely just give them hell, Indiana Jones. It's absolutely just like when the music swells, I'm in completely. It's absolutely all of that. But God, I God that movie. I think that movie's gonna be so much fun. I think that movie's gonna be so good. Um, so yeah, that's like that's my hope. And then now we get the now we get the Star Wars news with James Mangold. I I do love the news because it's he's described it as like a biblical epic, which I think Eternals is like a biblical epic. Honestly, like genuinely, I love Eternals. Um, so the idea of like a science fiction fantasy biblical epic that deals with some of the more mystical concepts. We also got an Ahsoka trailer. And one of the things I hope Ahsoka does is deal with some of the mystical concepts that Filoni has introduced, like the world between worlds, which is basically just time travel in Star Wars. Um, I don't want to go into the whole spiel on what the world between worlds is. But dealing with some of the mystical aspects of the Force, um, I've wanted that story for a long time. Like I'm, that, that part really excites me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I like the James Mangold news. I like the James, I think it's a good idea. Now we get the confusing one. Um, I, I want to preface this by saying they did, by, well, I don't know how I want to preface it, but we're getting a Star Wars movie set 15 years after The Rise of Skywalker, starring Daisy Ridley as Rey, and it's about her rebuilding the Jedi Order. This makes no sense to me, and it's very confusing and very conflicting. Um, I do not like the direction that the Rise of Skywalker took the Rey character. It's not a good direction. Her being a Palpatine is so dumb. I understand what they were going for with the Rey Skywalker thing, but it's it's really like I don't I don't like it as of this moment. Um but I do love Daisy Ridley and I love the way she plays that character and I would love to spend more time with that character. So on that level I'm excited but also on a philosophical not philosophical but why did they not just come out and say we're making episode 10? This is episode 10, right? Like, this is Star Wars episode 10. It's the, it's episode 10 of the Skywalker saga. Like, she's Rey Skywalker, is she not? That was your decision. Are you gonna... Are you, like, I would much rather them commit to that decision and make me like it than backtrack on that decision. If you're gonna keep... If you're gonna spend more time with that character, develop that decision make that decision make sense, not completely abandon it. So, this is... A, but, what, like... And by not just saying we're making episode 10, by not coming out and saying we're making episode 10, I think they... I think it shows that they're kind of chickening out on the Ray character. Um, and I would... I think it would be much more interesting. I would be much more excited if I thought they were going to actually make an effort to make Rey Skywalker make sense. That's that's what's confusing about this movie. Um, seriously, how is this not episode 10? Like, 
the last living Skywalker in canon, in-universe, is the lead of this movie, how is that not episode 10 of the Skywalker saga? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, but yeah, I'm, that's besides the point. I do think it's a really interesting second chance for A, the Rey character, B, if they decide to bring back Finn and John Boyega, and if they decide to bring back uh, Oscar Isaac, I think that's a really intre- like I think I think there's a really great opportunity to give those characters a second chance. Um, they're not ruined for me the way they are for some other people. Um, I would the things I would do to have Adam Driver come back, and I don't know if they would, but as a Force ghost, I would that would make me so happy. Like, cause it, it it's a part of what I hate about the Rise of Sky. Okay, I'm gonna sound like a shipper again. <laughs> But the only thing about Rise, the there were the only thing in Rise of Skywalker that feels legitimately set up by the Last Jedi is Raylo, is that relationship. So I would like I would I would actually be okay if they decided they were going to commit to that relationship and develop it and grow it, and I think they could do that with with Ben as a Force ghost. I think that could work. Um, like it's, it's, it's fan fiction shipper crap because they never got a chance to develop it. So, but then again, they're not calling it episode 10. So are they chickening out on everything they did in Rise of Skywalker and just, are they not learning from their mistakes? Because the mistake of Rise of Skywalker was not... I mean, the, the mistake of Rise of, the mistake of Rise of Skywalker was not committing to the direction that Ryan Johnson chose. If you're in your third movie in a trilogy and you're still not committed to a direction, that's a problem. So now they're going to do a sequel to Rise of Skywalker, but not call it Episode Ten. They're going to do a sequel to Rise of Skywalker, and and once again not commit to the direction set up by the previous movie even if I don't like the direction. Like, uh, I don't know. It's frustrating, confusing, and it just feels like Lucasfilm, after almost a decade, Kathleen Kennedy has has been president of this company for almost a decade, and they still have not learned a single lesson. I just don't get it, y'all. I I just don't get it. It just doesn't make sense. It just does not understand. I do not understand. But the opportunity to see Daisy Ridley as Ray again, I'm actually okay with. I'm actually down for that. Also, theory time. Theory time, because I mean it's I'm not the person who originated it. By the by the by this point in the timeline, fifteen years after the rise of Skywalker, Grogu would be ninety one. Yoda started training as a Jedi Master at a hundred. Or I think he started training younglings at a hundred. I don't remember. But so over under forty percent Grogu is in this movie. I'll go over. I'll go like 85%. I think absolutely, absolutely Grogu is going to be in this movie. Um, I, and I, like that, that kind of gets me hyped. What if Grogu, like this is, because what if Grogu is the Kyle Katarn of canon? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Kyle Katarn was a 
Jedi who kind of went in and out of training with Luke. This is post-Return of the Jedi in Legends. Kyle Katarn was a Jedi slash like smuggler. He was like a Han Solo type, but a Jedi who went in and out of training youngling, being a teacher at Luke's Jedi Temple in Legends. Um, and we haven't gotten a version of that character, but now we have Grogu, who's a Mandalorian, probably going to be a full-fledged Mandalorian by this point. Um, do, what are they... I'm, I'm curious what... Like, I would actually love to see that dynamic, his dynamic with Rey. Like, I see, I can get myself excited for it, but it doesn't, like, it doesn't help that it doesn't feel like they're committing to a direction. Like, that's just really annoying to me. I don't know. I don't know. I'm very conflicted about this news. But, yeah, that's my take on all of the news of the week. <laughs> um, wow. Um, yeah, let's talk about some movies, and then we're going to get into the big segment of the episode that I'm very excited about. Okay. So, the first actual movie we're going to talk about this week. Uh, okay, so in preparation for Air, which I did not see this week, <laughs> um, I I watched, I was like, I, I haven't seen Ben Affleck direct before, so let's watch a movie Ben Affleck directed. So I watched Argo, um, which is a movie about a CIA operative who specializes in exfiltration, getting uh, people in bad situations out of the bad situations on a national scale um uh played by ben affleck um who needs to get some people out of revolutionary uh iran uh and in order to do so he creates a fake movie this is based on a true story um and like yeah i haven't i haven't actually i didn't do a lot of research into the true story but this movie was good like i don't it's not i I'm not in love with it. Like, I'm not completely in love with it. But there's a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, I, like... Specifically, the thing that I love the most about it is I love, like... It's like The Fablemans. It's like a... It's a movie about movies. But with the added element of the intrigue and the suspense. And are they going to get them out? And the bad guys and the good guys. And, you know... So I like that aspect. I like movies that are about the power of movies. And I I feel like that sounds a little bit dismissive of, like, actual heroes, like the CIA and, you know, calling the CIA heroes is a little bit questionable. But some of them are heroes. Like, they do heroic things, like in this movie. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I, just, I like movies that are about movies so this this was a lot of fun for me um especially when you get into the last like 15 20 minutes when they're like it like it's all just everybody celebrating john goodman is in the movie and he's awesome um yeah uh god there's not like a lot to say about this movie it's just kind of like it's it's not as good as i was expecting but it's well directed enough. the The story is good. Um, I will say this: it made me want to watch Persepolis, which I've been meaning to watch since like senior year of high school. Um, Persepolis is well. There's a graphic novel about a girl who grew up in Iran, specifically at the time of this movie during the revolution. Um, 
And, like, it's just a really, really good story. And there's a movie adaptation that I have not seen. It's an animated movie directed by the author, directed by Marjane Satrapi, I believe. I don't think I said her name right, but that's fine. Um, But I believe it's directed by her, and this movie made me want to watch that. Um, But, yeah, I I, I, I thought this movie was good. It's a movie about movies. I loved the intrigue of, like, trying to get the movie made. And the fact that, like, at some points that's really absurd and really funny, and at other points they're like, I really hope these guys believe this, because <laughs> if they don't, some people are going to die. Um, the last, like, 40 minutes, like, there's a chase There's is so intense and so fun. Um, but, I, I do, and, but I do think the first, like, hour, hour, 20 minutes to get there is a little bit, like, Eh, it's there. It's it's fine. The last like forty minutes, the chase and the intrigue and the suspense and the intensity of like whether or not they're even gonna get tickets to get out of the country, that was a lot more interesting to me than you know. I don't know. I felt it felt like it didn't do enough with like the glitz and glam of Hollywood. I felt like there was a there's there's thematically things they could have done that I don't think they did. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, Martin, not Martin Stein, Martin Stein was the character. Victor Garber is in this movie. He plays the Canadian ambassador, and I really like Victor Garber, so that's a point for me. Um, John Goodman's in it. Love John Goodman. Um, yeah, this is just a really fun movie. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still, once again, really excited to see Air this week, but I didn't see it or see air this week and because I didn't see it last week. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's a good movie. I think it's a good movie. It's a, it's a good solid movie. Not like knock your socks off, at least not for me, but it's good. It's intense. It's fun. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's about an important story. It's about recognizing real heroes and sometimes real heroes are the ones who make the movies. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's my take on Argo. You should, you should, Argo, fuck yourself. Yeah, I want to get that tattooed. Argo, fuck yourself. I'd like, just a good line. Anyway, that's my take on Argo. Um, definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Let's talk about another movie. Okay, so the second movie that I watched this week, um, God. I watched this Friday night, I think, maybe Thursday night. I don't remember. Or no, it was Saturday. I didn't. I yeah, I stayed in Thursday and Friday. Well, no, Friday I had to work. But yeah, um, <laughs> uh, that all that to say, the Super Mario Bros. movie, uh, the new one, the one that's in theaters now, the one that's in theaters right now. This is not a perfect movie. In fact, like. The story, the actual plot here is non-existent. Like, like it's there, but it's very, like, eh, eh. Just, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna... The plot exists to facilitate nods to the games, Easter eggs, references, nostalgia. That's, like, that's the whole point. Um... This is a perfect Mario movie. I don't remember if I said that already. Like, it, I, do, I don't know what more you could possibly ask for from a Mario movie. The story 
the story's non-existent. The, the story in the games is non-existent. Go get the princess. Or in this case, go get Luigi. Um, yeah, I mean, the look is perfect. Um, Donkey Kong looks perfect. All of the, the, car, the Mario Kart sequence was perfect. Um, the music... My God, y'all, the music. The music in this movie is genuinely, like, incredible. Like, there's a lot of that taking older music cues and just, like, doing them with an orchestral score. I, like, I remember in the the first couple Far From Home trailers, they reap, they do an orchestral version of that Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can, but it's like, this movie does that, but like, times 11, and it's all amazing, the, the music when he enters the Mushroom Kingdom for the first time is amazing, the music, the act, there's like a scene where they do like some platforming and some actual Mario stuff, all of that music is amazing, um, this is like the third movie in a row that uses an I uh, uh that I've watched that uses an I need a hero drop, the a needle drop of I need a hero there because it's in Tetris I believe it's in Dungeons and Dragons and then it's in this, um, D- Tetris probably has the best one I don't think I mentioned it in the movie or in the review but Tetris like the Tet the, the the I need a hero needle drop in Tetris is awesome, um. But yeah, this one has another I Need a Hero Needle Drop. That was awesome. I, like, I know a lot of people, there was some people who, like, it's an Illumination movie, so there's going to be some pop songs. Um, so I could I could see the amount of pop songs in this movie, like, annoying people. But I kind of ate it up. There's a Thunderstruck Needle Drop when they're doing the, when they're doing the carts, the Mario, like, the Mario Kart sequence. That's perfect. Um, Jack Black as Bowser Baby. He, like, actually, he almost steals the movie. He's amazing. I love Jack Black as Bowser. My enemies to lovers king. Dude. Speaking of shippers, Jack Black is a shipper. Or Bowser is a shipper. Because he ships himself with Peach. Enemies to lovers. (laughs) They're great. His songs, he has a song that he wrote for the movie that's amazing. Called Peaches. It's amazing. Bowser pining after Peach is exactly, like, it's... Yes, I love it so much. It's amazing. Um, uh, Charlie Day as Luigi is great. Like, Charlie Day as Luigi is good. Anya Taylor-Joy as Peach. I don't know that I was, like... She's not doing anything, like, crazy with her voice, but I never really doubted her ability to play the character. Um, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Like, it took me a second to get used to it, but, like, I, I was okay with it. And I love Donkey Kong and Mario's dynamic. I thought that was really interesting. They just hate each other, and I love it. Um, they hate each other, but they're, like, best buds. They become, like, friends. I love it. Uh, bromance. Um, but the big one. <clears throat> when the cast got announced, I'm pretty sure I made a TikTok about, like, how terrible I thought specifically the casting of Chris Pratt as Mario was. I thought it was a terrible decision. There was no way it was going to be any good. Chris Pratt is just some... Chris Pratt is just the most generic... He's the most generic Chris. Um, 
Chris Pratt is not a good Mario. Chris Pratt is a fucking great Mario. It's perfect. Like, it's actually... Chris Pratt is a fucking voice actor. Chris Pratt in this movie is so... <laughs> like, it's great. It's perfect. He's doing, like, a little bit of an Italian accent. They reference why they're not doing the overtly Italian accents. Chris Pratt's awesome in this movie, y'all. I don't know. I'm, like, I'm sorry I ever doubted him. Um... <laughs> Chris Pratt's really good in this movie. Uh, yeah, just a lot, like a lot of this movie is just basically perfect. It's a perfect Mario movie. It's everything you could possibly want from a Mario movie. Um, the first like 10 minutes or so, I was like, I don't really know. Like it, it needs to be there, but it didn't feel very Mario to me. But then once you actually get to the Mushroom Kingdom, it becomes basically perfect. And then you get the ending, like the the climax. The climax felt a little bit unfocused for a while. But then, like, a thing happens, and you realize, oh, that wasn't the climax. This is the climax. And then, like, the climax actually has, like, some kind of emotional moments. Like, a, some good emotional payoffs. Um, yeah, I don't know, dude. Is it going to be in my top 10 by the end of the year? Probably not. Like, it's not a it's not a great movie, but it's a great Mario movie. Like it's perfect. Um Yeah, I don't know. Jack Black gets all the features he wants. <laughs> um yeah, stay for the credits. Stay for all the credits cuz there's I mean it's it there's a cool little post-credit scene. I can't wait. This movie's going to make like $2 billion. This movie's going to be freaking massive. I don't know if two, maybe not $2 billion, but it's going to be freaking massive. So get ready for a bunch of Mario sequels, which I'm actually pretty excited for after this. I'm actually, actually pretty hyped. It's good. You should go see it. It's awesome. So I would not consider myself an anime fan. Like, I know I've, I think I've said on the show that Hayao Miyazaki is my favorite filmmaker. I've seen Howl's Moving Castle, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, My Neighbor Totoro, and Kiki's Delivery Service. I think all five of those movies are perfect movies. Two of them are in my top five favorite movies of all time. Um, Miyazaki is my favorite filmmaker. But I, but like outside of that and a couple of other little minor dabbles into the world of anime, I've seen a couple of episodes of Cowboy Bebop. That's a great show. I've seen, I believe, all of season one of My Hero Academia. Um, that's a pretty good show. Um, <clears throat> but I've never, I've never been like fully obsessed with an anime. But one of my friends recommended a show called Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know what? Fine, I'll watch it. Um, also, unrelated. <laughs> I probably shouldn't even tell this story. But I, 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 was, I, like, I was like five or six episodes in, and I told my therapist I was watching it. And she went, wow, that's like the perfect show for you right now. I don't really know, I mean, I know what to make of that now, but I don't know if that's a good sign. I don't know if it's a good sign if you tell your neighbor or your 
therapist, your neighbor, what? <laughs> if you tell your therapist you're watching a show and she goes, wow, that's the perfect show for you right now. I don't know if that's a good sign. I really don't know if that's a good sign, but, but <laughs> she was right. Um, yeah. So I don't really know where to start because I could start on the end of the spectrum that's like, talk about the endings, talk about the text to self-reflection, the emotional, how much this, how much this freaking story destroyed me emotionally. I could start there. Or I could start with just how freaking entertaining the show is. Like, every one of the things that I think made Top Gun Maverick so special is um, it made the task feel impossible. It made what those pilots had to do feel impossible. And then, like, you show Maverick doing it, and... The entire thing come like like Maverick doing it is one of the most exhilarating sequences in the movie. So is the the third act because the third act like everything feels impossible and you and the movie truly does the work to make you understand how um how how much the odds were stacked against the characters the pilots. Um, Neon Genesis Evangelion does that in every single episode excuse me every single episode of this show packs as much tension intensity emotional weight but also fun entertainment um depth packs as much of as much of all those things as a two-hour movie does in 23 minutes like i like as I was watching it, I was like, man, maybe this will be a filler episode. Maybe this will be an episode that I can just kind of relax. And then, like, like, no, that never happens. <laughs> this show is so insane. Um, and I did watch End of Evangelion, the movie, also. We're going to talk about that. Um, but, like... In episode, I want to say it's like episode 6 or 7. It's the episode where Asuka gets introduced. Um, and we're going to talk about Asuka a lot. Um, but the episode where Asuka gets introduced, um, it it just, it, like, it reminded me a lot of Top Gun Maverick. Because it's, it's, you know, they, it's a naval, it's a naval expedition and they're carrying, uh, you know, they're carrying a naval to Japan or whatever. Um... I should probably explain what the show is for those who don't know. It's a mech anime. It's a mech anime with with like monsters of the week. But also it's about it's a psychological drama about grief and trauma and pain and religiousness and it's a lot. It's one of the it's one of the most densely packed stories ever and it's very difficult to explain. <laughs> but you know, you in this episode, you have clear skies, clear like clear skies, bright blue, and then at one point it goes underwater, and you just see the wreckage of humanity. You just see the wreckage of the world, and it just kind of it reminded me that it's it's just it's a great allegory for the whole show. 
because on, on the surface, the show's a fun mech anime where shit blows up and, you know, people kiss and, you know. But under the surface, this show is deeply broken and deeply ruined and deeply, like, in pain and painful. Um, and But there's moments like that in every single episode. Sometimes they're more overt. Like, there's an episode where the main character, Shinji, um, gets, gets like, sucked into, like, a pocket universe or whatever. Um, and I, I don't think I understand this scene yet, honestly. But, like, he gets sucked into a pocket universe, and, like, he has this, like, I thought it was an internal monologue about, like, the nature of the self and the fact that there's like multiple different versions of ourselves. There's the version that lives within us. And then there's the version that lives within everyone else, their perception of us, um, which is a great scene. Um, but I, but I don't think I fully understand it. So I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to pretend that I understand most of this show. The thing I will like, I'm not going to pretend I understand the lore but I will absolutely go to back for the psychology of each of these characters. Um, God, dude. And it's weird because it's every single character. They use that week-to-week nature, that or that like freak-of-the-week nature, to also develop every single character. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes it takes a while. There's a, there's a character that I don't think actually fully gets developed till like, episode 22. You don't get that character's backstory till like, episode 22. Um, but, yeah, so, so like, there's Ritzko, who's the doctor, who has a really, really, like, emotional story. Um, but it's, it, 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 her story almost gets buried under everyone else's. Because everyone's story kind of gets buried under everyone else's. I need to rewatch it already. Because there's already so much that I don't understand. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm very scattershot about this show. I'm going to be very, like, all over the place when I talk about it. Um, but, like, I love the team aspect. Like, and you don't get it a whole lot, but when all three pilots are in the Avis together, when Asuka, Shinji, and Rey are all in the Avis together... And their banter back and forth, and Asuka is being Asuka, and Shinji is being Shinji, and Rei is being Rei. Um, just their interplay, and the fact that all that it all still works. The fact that this show finds a way to make functional mental illness accessible. All of these characters are deeply broken, but they're all still managing to do good things. Um... I don't know, this show pretty deeply affected me. So I don't really know how to talk about it without, like, wildly oversharing on the podcast. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess I can... But, like, on the subject of every single character gets development. Every single character. There's these two... Um, there's these two classmates that Shinji has, because all these all the the kids are fourteen. Shinji, Asuka, they're all fourteen. Um, and 
uh, there's there's these two classmates that they have that at first I was like I don't really know where they're going with these characters. I mean there's there's like there's a thing in episode like two and three with one of them that was cool, um, but then like they're just that but then like there's a conflict in that and then it gets resolved and they're just kind of friends with Shinji. Um, and then for a long time, it's just like, they're Shinji's friends. They don't really matter that much. Um, and then, ta-da, episode, like, 17 and 18, one of those characters gets a really, really, like, heartbreaking story, and every, like, everything about it, what's happening, who the characters, because there's a mystery to it, and there's like a, there's like a, it's like watching a train wreck. It's like watching a train wreck because a certain character doesn't know what he's doing. Like, okay, Toji, who is one of the friends, Toji is assigned to be a pilot of a of an Ava, uh, and then that Ava gets infected with an angel and becomes an angel. Um, <clears throat> but nobody will tell Shinji that Toji is a pilot. Nobody will tell Shinji who the pilot is. Um, so he has to kill this Ava that he knows there's a pilot in, but he doesn't know who the pilot is, and the pilot is one of his best friends. It's such a, like, it's such a heartbreaking experience, and, and it actually shows Shinji, who, whose big struggle is, like, self-worth and confidence and standing up for himself. Um... He actually stands up for himself in this moment, and it, it's all for nothing because his asshole piece of shit father <laughs> takes the choice away from him and takes control of the Ava and destroys the angel at, in the process, almost killing Toji. Toji lives, thank God. Um... Not that this show doesn't have a lot of death, because holy hell does this show have a lot of death. Um, but yeah, like I don't know. I guess I guess I got I can't avoid it much longer. My favorite character in this show, and probably like I'm I'm slowly building that that list of all time favorite fictional characters. Oscar Langley swore you. Oh my god. Oh my god. Like, something about this character, and I don't know how to explain it, and I should probably not talk about it on the podcast. Something about this character has just deeply imprinted on me. Um, because you, you, I, I feel like, I feel like from moment one, you completely understand her. Everything about her just kind of made sense to me. From the very first moment. She's she's very brash. She's very blunt. She's rude. She makes fun of people. She's mean. But all of that. All of the meanness. All of the like. Annoyingness. Is. It's all a. Def- it's not. It's not a deflection. It's a cry for help. Asuka spends this entire show putting up walls and then begging someone to tear the walls down. Literally 
begging for someone to tear the walls down. Um, maybe my favorite moment in the entire show is it's in like her second episode. It's when it's the it's her first. I don't know if it's her first night living with Masato and Shinji, but early on when she's living in the apartment with Masato and Shinji, she makes this big huff about boundaries and walls and like like literally like physical walls and go and like I'm sleeping in the other room and slams the door and then Shinji goes to sleep and then he wakes up in the middle of the night and she's sleeping right next to him just that that moment told me everything I needed to know about this character she is so scared so deeply afraid of getting hurt and I like once you actually get this character's backstory, like, of course she's deeply afraid of being hurt. The person who is, like, inherently never supposed to hurt you, never supposed to try, never supposed to do you harm, never supposed to, like, have your worst interest at heart, always supposed to have your best interest at heart, that person is who hurt her. Um, and hurt her in a deeply traumatic horrible way um so she swore that she was never going to be hurt again so she fights she fights every day i'm sorry y'all like i love this character so much she fights every single day she spends the entire show fighting an enemy that doesn't exist begging to be seen begging for someone to tear those walls down and reach in and like just hold her like, I, she says it. I think she says it in the movie. But she says something along the lines of, you never fucking held... Or she doesn't say fucking, because they don't use that word. But you never held me. She's talking to Shinji. You never held me. And, oh, God. it, it Dude, Asuka fucking... She's broken me. Like, literally, literally. I should not be talking... I should not be getting this deep on the podcast. I'm sorry, y'all. But, but, but... I finished the show last night and I woke up this morning and my first thought was god damn it Asuka never got her happy ending because she doesn't although the more I think about it the more the ending the okay I got I got to talk about the endings now I've, I've gushed about Asuka a lot uh, that that character is gonna kind of probably live with me forever um for so many different reasons God, I love her so much. Um, but, so, the ending of the show, because the ending of the show versus the movie, which is end, end of Evangelion, um, Evangelion, uh, are, are two completely opposite endings. So the ending of the movie, or the ending of the show, is this optimistic, although, I mean, it, it's it's much, it was much more triggering than than the movie got like cuz it's cuz the they apparently they cut the budget for the show in the last two episodes so they had like no money to do this big final payoff um um so so the ending of the episode is just basically like a therapy session it's shinji sitting in a room in the dark in his own mind, basically. Maybe not in his own mind. I don't know if I fully understand it. Um, 
while all these other characters are like in some ways lecturing him and that's why I kind of thought it was in his mind cuz it's it felt like it felt like internal monologue the the level of like vitriolic hate towards himself seemed very akin to the the internal monologue but then once you get to the end once you get to the end specifically episode 26 um and you get Masato, who I haven't talked about Masato at all, but Masato, the, the, every single female character on this show, every single, like, in terms of representation for women, these are some of the most badass fictional characters I've ever seen. Masato, Masato could literally make anyone do anything. Masato was such a badass, but she's also, like everyone in the show, deeply broken, deeply broken by her past. But she's had more time to heal it. More time to... And she hasn't fully healed it. Because I don't know if you ever fully heal from... From stuff on the level that she went through. Um, but... She's managed... She's grown. She's managed to, like... Learn and change. And now she has the ability to guide Shinji. And in the finale, she guides Shinji. She helps... Her and Asuka and Ray, who I haven't talked about at all. Um, <coughs> Ray, um, they all help guide Shinji to this understanding of himself, this self-love thing, um, and God. But but at the same time, like the show ending, the show ending is great for the characters because it kind of wraps everyone up in a very optimistic, happy ending kind of way. <clears throat> um, it wrap like so it wraps everyone. It it wraps all the stories up, gives you like a little bit of victory. But plot wise, the finale of the show gets like absolutely nothing done. <laughs> nothing like none of the, most of the questions don't get answered in the finale. Um, there's not a bit. There's not a big final battle. Um, yeah, it's just a very deeply optimistic thing for the characters without having, like, the plot itself actually be resolved. Um, I, but, I, like, don't get me wrong. So, like, it's not a good finale. It's not a good end to the show. But it's gr- it's a great episode, I think. Because it, like... It's this text-to-self thing. Um, it's, it's this text-to-self thing that I do with all movies and TV. Um... With with the three lead characters, the three pilots, Rei, Asuka, and Shinji, I see myself in each one of them, and they're all so special. Um, and so, like... I don't know. I don't know. They just... They all learn to work through trauma and pain in... In... Hell, like, in the, in the show's ending... They all work through it healthily. They all kind of figure it out in a really healthy way. Um, but the actual end of the show, Neon Genesis Evangelion, end of Evangelion, the movie that was the ret- that retcons episodes twenty five and twenty six. Um, 
is a much better ending, even though selfishly, because it's it's also the exact opposite. It's a sad ending. It's a nihilistic ending. It's 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 kind of depressing. Um, selfishly, I kind of like the other ending better, but objectively, this is a better ending of the show. Um, if only because it has my favorite Oscar moment, maybe in the entire show. Well, I know my favorite Oscar moments the the night scene that I talked about. Um, but Oscar finally gets it, like like because there's the reveal that the Avas are human, and they have the souls of the pilot's mother in them, which is insane. <laughs> um, but, so, so you get that reveal that, like, yes, the thing, your, Asuka's mother hurt her deeply in a terrible way, but she's also been there with her through all of this. All of it. I like. I feel like I could talk about this show for hours. Um, but the uh, in terms of the actual ending of the ending, like of End of Evangelion, um, it does. It treads a lot. Like it, especially at the episode twenty six, because it is still technically cut into two parts. Um, episode twenty six still feels like it treads a lot of the same ground as um the show like it presents Shinji with the choice the choice of learning to love the world learning to love humanity and through that or maybe even from that learning to learning to love himself but whereas in the movie he makes that choice or in the show, he makes that choice. He makes the choice to love himself. In the show, he makes the choice to take all of his pain out on other people. To to <clears throat> to choose hate. Um, and yeah, and yeah, like I don't know if I'm ever gonna stop thinking about the final scene. Um, Cause it's after he's had this whole like psychedelic experience, experience, where he like makes the decision to not save humanity, um, but he does save. If I'm understanding it right, I might not be completely understanding it right. I think, but this is like just specifically talking about the final scene. He wakes up on a beach, and the sea is red. And the world is crashing down around him, but Asuka's laying next to him. But it's not really Asuka. I mean, I'm, like, for my purposes, for the purpose of this conversation, for, for, for the purpose of my own canon, um, it is Asuka, because I'm a shipper, and Asuka and Shinji just needed each other. They just needed each other the entire show. And they could never get the walls down. And then you get this final moment where they wake up on a beach. And Asuka and Shinji, who has chosen hate, climbs on top of her and starts choking her. Um, and she wakes up. Because, like, she's asleep. <laughs> she wakes up. She reaches up, puts her hand on his face, on his cheek. 
and he stops choking her. He lets go, but um, he he descends back. He immediately starts crying. He immediately he descends back into himself. I think in that moment, he hates the decision that he's made, especially to hurt her. Um, and he just descends back into himself instead of embracing her, holding her like they both needed for the entire show. Um, um, instead of embracing her and holding her like that, because in that moment, like it, it just clicked for me. Asuka finally brings the walls down. The walls finally come down, and she finally shows vulnerability. She finally, like, gives him, lets him in, rather than be- rather than begging for him to tear the walls down. She invites him, and he chooses to stay out. He chooses to stay to himself. And so you get that final line. She 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 says her final line is pathetic. Oh my god, dude. This show fucked me up so unequivocally. <laughs> um but yeah, I don't I don't really even know where to I f- like like d- finishing this show because of the way like the way Asuka imprinted on me, the way that story of someone literally begging to be seen, that story just really imprinted on me and really meant a lot to me. And the fact that in some ways she does get a happy ending in a certain way because she finally learns to, to let the walls down, to take the walls down. Um, and she gets rejected by idiot Shinji. Oh God. Um. Yeah. It, this is not gonna be for everyone. Um. But as for me, I need Hideaki Anno to pay my fucking therapy bills. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh. I. I. I don't know what else to say. Uh. I mean, there's a lot more I could say. The, like, the movie has... Actually, yeah. 100% my favorite Asuka moment is... When she realizes that her mother's soul is in the Ava. She hasn't been alone this whole time. And she gets the fuck up. She's, she's like, hiding underwater. And she fucking gets up. And, like, throws a fucking battleship. And then, like, starts beating the fucking shit out of the, the enemy. The enemy. That's I. It, I literally stood up and clapped. It's it's one of my favorite moments in all of cinema. Um, yeah, I don't. I, don't, I like. I I'm I'm not even sure where to go. I need to rewatch it because I need to like. I need to rewatch the whole thing, and I know there's like sequel reboot somethings, and I'm gonna I'm gonna probably watch those next. But I need to rewatch it because there's a couple characters that I really do wish I had seen like they have a deeper story I'm pretty sure but I I just need to go back and focus on it that's uh 
Gendo, Gendo for sure, Gendo Akari, Shinji's dad, and uh, Ritsuko. Um, but yeah, this this is a really really special piece of art. There's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it. And some people are gonna hate it. Um, like I, even even among the fandom, I've seen some people who really really don't like Asuka. I think those people are idiots. Asuka's literally like one of the most tragic characters in all of media to me. Um, but yeah, like I need to rewatch it because there's some stuff that I missed. But I need I also need to stop because I've talked about this for like over half an hour. Um, um, but yeah, the, Neon Genesis Evangelion, the show, the movie, um, you need. Yeah. It's a recommendation for me. It, like it's it's the whole story is just insane and beautiful and brilliant and heartbreaking. And I think you should watch it. Um yeah, that's my take on Ava. Weird to like I don't know. I don't know how to end this, y'all, cuz I don't I really don't know where to go. Anyway, that's my take on Ava. Let's uh let's jump into the outro and then let's get y'all out of here cuz I've talked a long time. And there you have it. That is I told y'all I was a shipper. But uh, dude, dude, Shinji and Asuka just needed to be together. Like they needed they needed to be together. And I'm not even I'm not even going to talk about the hospital thing. I'm not even going to talk about it cuz if I talk about it like it's both very gross, but also, like, kind of beautiful in a really fucked up way. Uh, but, yeah, anyway, not the point. Not the point. Not the point. That is it. That's, that's like, I gotta, I gotta cut the episode here, because I've talked for way too free, freaking long. Um, yeah, you should, you should, uh, you should go watch everything I talked about in this episode. Ted Lasso's awesome. Um, it's weird, because, like, I, like, a... Ava's awesome. Ava's amazing. But it left me with such, like, like it didn't make me feel good. And I feel like all of the shows, it made me feel seen more than it made me feel good. And all of my favorites, all of the ones that I immediately recommend are movies that made me feel really good. Um, Ava didn't do that. Ava, Ava made me want to go to therapy. <laughs> um... But yeah, anyway, anyway whatever. Uh, that's that's my take on it. Uh, we'll see y'all in the next episode. Do all the wonderful podcast things. This is probably going to be an Ava Evangelion podcast for, for a minute because I want to watch all the sequels. I probably will. Well, uh, I feel like I feel like the show is just going to become a part of my vocabulary, a part of my vernacular. So I'll probably talk about it for the rest of time. Um, anyway, that's my take on everything that I watched this week. Do all the great podcast things. Follow, rate, uh, tell me how much I should not have just spent a half hour talking about one thing. Anyway, that whatever. We're good. Uh, see you all in the next episode. Bye-bye.